0: Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 88. This week's feature, if you like Dead of Winter, try out these games. We'll also be talking about Telestrations After Dark, Heroes of the Storm, and Tides of Time.
1: You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com.
0: Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. This is Anthony. And this is Daniel. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. So glad to have you join us here this week at the table. We got a great episode for you. We're bringing back one of the favorite features. If you like this, try out this. And especially after last week where we took your responses to our survey and we mashed it down to a top 10 that we know Drew loves and came up with, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, Dead of Winter as your number one choice. So we thought, why not take Dead of Winter and take a look what other games work with it? We also have our acquisition
1: disorders and are at the tables this week. And no Drew because we did a top 10 last week.
0: Yeah, it takes a toll on him. He, he's got to recover after something like that. He has to
2: respawn. It takes him like a week or <laughs> <laughs> two,
0: you know. Uh, it's that Rondell respawning. It takes forever. It just keep going around and around and around. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think that would be a funny topic,
1: too, right? If hardcore board game designers made uh, video games. Oh, my goodness. I can only imagine how nonsensical those games would (laughs) be. And video games are already nonsensical. It's true. Playing a Stefan Fell video game, Call of Duty. Like, well, there's an objective over here and an objective over there, but
0: you don't have to do any of those objectives because there's 500 other objectives. Do anything you want. You'd fire a
2: single bullet and your screen would fill with points.
0: (laughs) 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 That would be awesome.
2: you lifted a rock seven levels what
1: uh, what i think the majority of games would suddenly start awarding rewarding people for just going around and picking up as you said rocks <laughs> pieces of wood or Matt gertz you're just going around in a circle over and over and over again <laughs> there'd be all these interesting things happening in the background and the game designers are like no no, no 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 ignore the unicorn and the giant <laughs> gun on the surface of mars we are farming wheat that's right
0: yeah <laughs> With that intro, let's get on to our Acquisition Disorders this week. And now, our Acquisition Disorders... Acquisition disorders? That's crazy. All he needs the base game, nothing else but the base game, the base game and the expansion. See, nothing else. Just the base game and the expansion and the promos. The base game, the expansion and the promos, and of course the upgraded components. Why wouldn't you have the upgraded components? So the base game, the expansion. For our acquisition disorders this week, we're going to talk about the brand new games that we want to hit our table. table. Daniel, why don't you start us off? If I
2: could just one wish, Chris, it would. uh, The first thing that I would do is to save time in a bottle. Now I don't actually get that wish, unfortunately. But I can get time in a cardboard box. So there's this game called Time Stories, T-I-M-E Stories, Uh, and it's following after Tragedy Looper in having the sort of Looper-style time travel element as a major drive, and also in having a narrative that is going to be central to gameplay. And I'm a big sucker for narrative games, and Tragedy Looper in general sort of warmed me up to time travel games, so I'm kind of chomping at the bit for this and time has beautiful art been one of the most widely anticipated games that was released at Essen. it should be in in stores soon it's supposed to be in there in fall 2015 at which point i'm like come on this counts now 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 counts travel back in time and put it in the store now hurry up let's do this time stories is definitely a game i think that's worth looking at unfortunately since it's so very new there's not as much information available about it as i'd like though they do have the full rule book up for uh for you to read through if you'd like if you're the kind of person who likes to tease yourself with those sort of things uh and as you can imagine i am one of those people so i I actually have it open on my screen right now and i've read through it like three times so
1: that's me uh how about you anthony all right so last week chris mentioned one of the star wars games that came out for force friday and that was actually also on this list but i figured i had a long enough list that i could just throw that one to the side just assume i want that because it's (laughs) x-wing related you don't say let's just assume that i maybe possibly already bought that let's just assume that it's already on my shelf um (laughs) there were other star wars games that were released on the same horse friday of which i partook mightily the first of which i knew was coming out the second of which i didn't and just thought was cute and funny the first game on the list here was a risk star wars edition this is the third star wars edition of risk i believe that's been released um there was a risk star wars that came out maybe 10 or 15 years ago and then a second one from the prequels both of which are out of print now this one, however, is a new release. It has nothing to do with the new movies at all. It's actually recreating the final battles from Return of the Jedi. And it re-implements a lot of the same mechanics from The Queen's Gambit, which is a super out-of-print, super expensive board game based on The Phantom Menace. That is a game that will cost you three or $400 if you are interested in purchasing it but it is amazing looking. I've never played it, so I have no idea if it's any good. But in terms of components, it's just stuff everywhere, and there's this three-story thing in the middle of it, and there's three different battles going on, and you have to manage all three of them at the same time. Star Wars Risk is the similar idea with a much more scaled-down looking battle. Um, It's a $30 box from Hasbro, so obviously there's not a ton of stuff in the box here, but using the same mechanics, using a little bit of what Rob Daviel put together for his previous game 10, 15 years ago and recreating the final battle from return of the Jedi. So you're fighting on the planet, you're fighting in this in space, you're trying to take out the death star or protect it depending on what side you're on. And you're doing it all on this kind of awesome tie fighter shaped board. Um, the game looks pretty cool. I have not yet gotten it to the table, but just based on what it's re-implementing and what battles it brings in and the miniatures that do come with it, which I'm sure are super low quality and cheap because of the you know, price point of the game, but the fact that they're there, very interesting. So I'm, I'm interested in this one quite a bit. There's also a Black Edition or Black Series Edition that people have been talking about floating out there that I have not seen. I don't know if this is out yet or coming out anytime soon, But it'll have slightly bigger, slightly more advanced components for $50 instead of $30. So I do not have that version. But the regular version, I believe you can find in just about any Toy store at this point. And then the second game that I was interested in, kind of just saw this one when I was on Amazon looking at the risk game was Lupin Chewy. And yes, that is a Chewbacca version of Lupin Louie. And that alone was enough. I thought that was awesome. Lupin Louie is a fun game. It's a dexterity game. It's a classic. There's tournaments based on this game. It's a kid's game, of course, but it's just that much fun, you know, the way it plays. And they replaced poor part of the game, Louis, with Chewbacca in the Millennium Falcon. It only plays three players, unfortunately, instead of the original, which plays four. And there's been some reports that the motor's a little weak, but it's Chewbacca in the Millennium Falcon swinging around your table. So I'm cool with all that. This is, this is awesome. There's even some people on BoardGameGeek who've talked about some mods already to fix the motor or add a second game to it so you can go more players. I'm not going to go that far. I, there's only the three of us right now, so I'm perfectly happy with three people. But uh, it's Chewbacca in the Millennium Falcon looping around. So anyways, I'm really excited for Star Wars. So anything with Star Wars right now, I'm, I'm all about. And these were the two that I uh, kind of caught my attention this last week.
2: When you started talking about the uh, the mod the motors coming out of the walls already I just have this picture of Tim Taylor from home improvement just more horsepower. <laughs> That's, That's exactly what it is, yeah. Ripping through the wall and setting a building on fire. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, you want to have more power. If it's not powerful enough, the the thought is is that it actually weighs a little too much like putting Chewbacca and the Millennium Falcon in there, maybe is a little bit too much for the motor, but it's It looks plenty fast enough for me, especially playing with a four-year-old, so I don't need to mod mine quite yet, but I'll go to the videos when I need it.
2: But when he grows up, it's time to make this a (laughs) serious.
1: Horsepower.
2: Well, Chris, how about you? What's your uh, acquisition disorder this week?
0: Well, we talked about this a little bit earlier when we talked about Arcadia Quest and how we all really enjoyed the game, but this, Arcadia Quest Inferno, is truly the game that I really want to get to the table as soon as possible. Now... We talked about the other expansion that came out recently, and we really enjoyed that. It's nothing like playing with the undead to kind of get you excited. But Inferno adds something really interesting, and Anthony mentioned this a little bit last week, but I wanted to bring this back because I think this is something that you should keep on your radar because I think the opportunity to take Damnation, this new mechanic that will allow heroes more power, and yet at the same time corrupt them over the game actually is an outstanding mechanic, and it's something that really needs to play into Arcadia Quest a lot more. It's a great game, and having the opportunity to do more fun stuff and to do it faster is really great. Especially with these new miniatures and being able to kind of add on these angel minis. So, like, if you save the angels, now you have new characters to play as. That's really great because in the original Arcadia Quest and even in the expansion, yeah, you get to kind of rescue these tokens that represent characters or, you know, objectives that you're supposed to do, but you're not picking up a new character. So picking up new characters and playing that mechanic where you can really really kind of dance on the edge of a knife and see if you can kind of win the day but hopefully not corrupt yourself fully is a mechanic that's long past due and Arcadia Quest Inferno is something that I absolutely positively will get as soon as this game comes out because it's outstanding
1: yeah this is we played this one at gen con i think we mentioned that last time and it is pretty cool Articidia quest by itself is awesome yeah you're just stomping around bashing on things it's not really that complicated but there's just something immensely satisfying about the way it plays but it is a little simple there's not too much going on so these expansions bringing in new mechanics especially this damnation thing which i think is awesome really expands the game a lot so i'm with you i don't own the base game or the other expansion but Mm -hmm. i also want inferno so that also means i want the base game (laughs) and the other expansion so and
0: it just reminds me of like our like the classic video games where you can go to certain areas and pick up allies and that they'll help you and they actually play as playable characters in the game they're not just generic kind of npcs
2: yeah it's a really exciting expansion to what's already a very fun game i mean as you guys said this was actually my first experience of it at gen con of anything arcadia quest and playing it for about five minutes maybe oh yep no i want this i want (laughs) all of it I'll take the uh, I'll take the shelf, please. The whole shelf.
0: Well, that's Arcadia Quest Inferno. Pick it up, even if you have to burn a little bit money and deal with the damnation. It's uh, it's definitely worth it because this is a fun game. All right, so that's our acquisition disorders this week. And now at the table with BGA. So for our at the table this week, we want to tell you about three games that we got a chance to play, and let you know if the game is a buy a play, a dodge, or an absolutely positively burn, and you should avoid the game at all costs. Well, with that said, let's get to the games that are hitting our table and hitting our tablet. Daniel, why don't you start us off? Uh,
2: Yeah, so I've not gotten a chance to play many uh, tabletop games recently, which is a shame, but I have started playing, rather recently, Heroes of the Storm, which is Blizzard's a massive online battle arena game or MOBA as they're commonly called in the realm of Dota or League of Legends right uh, though it's got a much different spin to it that favors the casual player in a way that Dota and League of Legends don't so it, it's a little more forgiving for those of us who just log on for half an hour a day like I do. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty new to it but I'm doing alright. I'm, I'm rocking my Muradin up. He's he's doing some doing some good jobs at the tanking and the and the not dying and the, the keeping <laughs> other people from dying. Laning I, and I know the names of phases yeah, be amazed <laughs> uh, Anyway Here's the Storm is uh, it's a game I, I got into primarily out of curiosity see what this is like But it is actually a fantastic game. I was really happy when I jumped in there. And on top of that, it's free. So definitely worth what you pay for it, you know, Uh, that being nothing. Uh, I do think that you can get through the game pretty well without spending any money, though I know a lot of people do spend a lot of money in this game. And if you're not careful... It's the kind of game that could bankrupt you, but really, you can get everything you need through playing and gathering currency, unlocking a few heroes, and just sticking with that group to play through. It's really been a fun time. A couple of my friends have joined me on there. Uh, in fact, both Chris and Anthony have played on there with me as well. What do
1: you guys think of Heroes of the Storm? I am very bad at this game. <laughs> played like I, twice man it's all right I, I, I played a couple more times actually so the first time i played and i played through the tutorials before but i was just i happened to be online playing hearthstone and daniel's like hey man i'm on here's a storm you want to play and i was like sure after dinner so then i hopped on and he's like hey let's just do a quick match real quick and then listed off like 30 things i needed to remember and i got <laughs> obliterated we will we all got obliterated but yeah. as the healer of the group it was partially my fault that we got obliterated wow. um yeah, I mean,
2: but I shouldn't have been like, hey, you've played this game before for half a minute. Let's jump into
1: Quick Max. That'll, be, that'll turn out great. <laughs> I was like, what's happening? Where is everything? Why am I dying so many times? <laughs> um, I've played probably half a dozen games now, which is only a fraction of what's required to be any good at a game like this, but I finally feel like I understand where I'm supposed to go on the map and what buttons to press, so that's good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, i do like this one a lot though because i've tried league of legends before i tried dota 2 and those are even more brutal like way more brutal because in this game there are objectives that you can go do like little quests that anybody can do and when you do those you hurt other people so you don't have to just immediately face off against other players who will destroy you just like the real world your
2: accomplishments harm others Yeah, (laughs) hurt your enemies by achieving your
0: goals. (laughs) The best revenge is to live a good life, right? Yeah, yeah. And complete objectives.
2: (laughs) Yeah, or to take the pyramid so that it shoots (laughs) laser beams at your enemy's fortress. Also good revenge.
1: (laughs) It's a metaphor, Daniel. It's a metaphor.
0: I've played MOBAs a lot. I played the originals when they were mods for Warcraft 3. I really enjoyed those a great deal. It was amazing when they first came out. There was one I especially liked. It was a MOBA, but it was called X-something. Or it was just like... And not only could you upgrade the heroes, but you could also upgrade the troops and the the bases. But nonetheless, that was a thing. That was a major thing on Warcraft 3. People were playing that a lot more than they were playing Warcraft 3. And then obviously there was Dota. And I'm a big League of Legends fan, so I play a lot of MOBAs in that. And... I really enjoy League of Legends. It's something very unique. It's something fun. But it is really, really tough. It is not an easy game, especially when you're playing on the higher levels. You really need to know what you're doing exactly each and every step of the way. Now, this one, Heroes of the Storm, is a lot lighter. It's a lot softer. It's definitely something that you really need a team for because those objectives are essential in the game. You could do, you could be the best mobile player in the world. If you're not completing those objectives, which, as Anthony was saying, just mess and destroy the other players' castles and bases, then you're really not going to win that game because there's just a massive difference when it comes to completing the objectives versus just being a great laner. you got to really get those objectives... It's night and day and somebody can win the game just for completing the objectives at the right time. I enjoy this game, but it is frustrating because so many times while I'm playing it, I want to go completely MOBA on this and I want to like lane and jungle and do all those things and it's really not the game for it. It's just completing objectives, which is okay, but it's not as much fun for me personally as League of Legends. So, it's a play for me, and I'm glad to play it. And it's great to have friends to play it because the objectives are okay depending on the map that you're on. And what I really like about the game is that you share the levels. So, if you do have a weaker player on the team, then they're doing okay too. So, when you play in MOBA or you're playing League of Legends, if you do have a weak player and they start feeding, the game is pretty much over. Here, at least, everyone benefits, and you really do have to play as a team. And in that aspect, the game does win big time.
1: Yeah, thanks, guys. <laughs> Not talking about you. Dragging me wow. along with
2: you. Oh, the, it, I, I really enjoy this game, and I'm glad we can play it together too. That's one of the nice things. And it's there are a lot of games like this where the victor is going to be the one who has spent the last twelve hours on this game. Whoa. Right? <laughs> or thirteen or fourteen hours oh. unbroken, right? Right. Essentially, uh, the victor's going to be the professional gamer, and of course, a professional Heroes of the Storm gamer is going to kick the crud out of any of us. But there's the way they do resource distribution, and the way yeah. you gain money and that sort of thing. You can't just grind nonstop and make a ton of gold. Really, you get your uh, assets grown by grinding sort of a little bit each day as opposed to all at once. And that's a much more manageable schedule for most of us, I think.
0: Yeah, the in-game purchases here are definitely a lot more expensive than League of Legends or many of the other games. But they do offer you a lot of opportunities to complete little mini objectives to kind of get gold. Although there there are some skins and some colors and some outfits and some mounts that you have to pay cash for. So as far as that's concerned, it's kind of outrageous. But then again, even in League of Legends, there are some stuff that you have to pay for in cash too. So as Daniel was saying, you don't need any of these things. You can start, there's free rotation, so you can jump on the game, pick a character, learn a character, and then every couple of games play something new. And by that time, you'll have enough money to buy a character so that you can play that character consistently. So it's a good game. And as Daniel was saying, there's not going to be one player who's going to come in and just crush your team because everyone's sharing the levels there but there could be a team that comes in there and crush you so when you're playing this game stay together as a team that's the key to victory and stay alive that's important too so anthony what about you
1: all right so i got a game to the table this last week that's significantly less uh devastating to my uh sense of self-worth than heroes of the storm (laughs) Um. (laughs) don't worry anthony let me heal you hold on a second oh you're good now all right cool yeah leveling up <laughs> not doing anything but leveling up <laughs> um this game is called tides of time it's a. Uh, it was actually released at gen con and there was a number of copies available there i did not play it at the time so many other good games kind of got buried for me but it's a uh, it's a new game from portal games the designer is christian curla and it is a two-player card drafting game so It's exactly as it sounds uh at first i couldn't i couldn't imagine how that would work but it actually works pretty well game takes like 10 to 20 minutes to play it's very quick it's very simple it comes in one of those small flip type boxes and the idea of the game is you're going to be building a tableau of cards over the course of three rounds by drafting cards with your opponent so there are 18 cards in the deck that is all and they're big cards they're like tarot sized cards And you will start each round with a certain number of cards in your hand, and you will draft them, take turns with the opponent, take one of the cards, pass it to them, they'll take one of the cards, they'll pass it back to you, and so forth and so on. Each of those cards has a suit on it, and some kind of special ability that'll score points. So there are five suits in the game total. And then there are things like, for each crown, gain three victory points, for each Hand gain three victory points for the majority in the castle suit, gain seven victory points. If you have a set of these four, gain this many victory points. So, as you play the cards, it's going to kind of show you what you need to have to get the points at the end of that round, and you're going to score at the end of each round. There are a couple of special cards, like the King's Nest is one that a lot of people point out as a little super powerful. It allows you to win all ties. Otherwise, with a tie, nothing happens. There are a couple others as well that are a little game-breaking or more interesting. And because there are two or three of those kind of cards, it's not super imbalanced because if you're drafting, you would ultimately get to choose if you want that card as well. The interesting thing about this game, though, is that it plays so quickly. And after each round, you're going to keep one of those cards. So that's going to be your Relic of the Past is the card that you keep on the tableau. So you'll have your five cards out at the end of the round. You'll pick the one that you want to keep there and then pick the other four back up, shuffle them back up with the rest of the cards in the game and do it all over again. So each time you go through it, you're going to have one more card. Round one, five cards, round two, six cards, round three, seven cards. And therefore you can build a bigger combo and you can kind of build towards something too. Like if you want to have all five suits for the 13 victory points it gives you on the Maze of the Damned, then you would make sure that each of those three cards you get is a different suit. I liked it a lot. We played several games of this very quickly. There are a handful of combinations that seem a little powerful, but as we kind of played through it, they didn't keep popping up. Like one person didn't always win with the King's Nest, even though it seemed like they probably could have. The scoring is a little wonky. Some rounds, somebody would score like 40, and then the next round, somebody else would score 40. It really depends on what you can chain together. But... You can't really run away with the game either because most of your cards get shuffled back up every time you play. So for me, this is a, uh, a strong play. It's pretty inexpensive. I want to say it's a $10 or $11 game. And there really aren't a lot of components in the box. So honestly, I mean, it's there's already a lot of people who are putting skins of it up on BoardGameGeek, like sci-fi reskinnings and certain fantasy reskinnings. So depending on what Portal says, because I, I never want to condone going and downloading somebody's game when you should be paying for it. But if you own it, or if you want to get multiple versions of it, there are skins out there as well. It's a fun game. If you see it, and you know you are looking for another two-player game that only takes a few minutes as a filler with your spouse or with a friend, this is a good one. It's one I'll probably keep in my bag when I go to game nights, just because you have that. There is always that twenty-minute gap where you are sitting there with one guy just staring at each other because you don't want to start a long game because everybody's almost done or they're almost there, but you got nothing else. Now you got tides of time.
0: So, a game that I got to the table with the family is a game that I really didn't want to get to the table because I had some really cool games to play. And I'm like, hey, guys, you want to play Camel Cup? They're like, eh. I'm like, hey, do you want to play Castles of the Mad King Ludwig? They're like, eh. And they're like, all right, so what do you want to play? And they're like, Telestrations After Dark. And I'm like, no. <laughs> no. But nonetheless, Telestrations is an outstanding game. Fun party game. It's actually one of the very few party games I'm actually excited to play. Now, I think we've talked about Telestrations previously, and it's actually a pretty simple game. Think about think about the concept of telephone, where you took a word or concept, whispered it into someone else's ear, and then they did the same around amongst many people until it got back to you. And then somehow at the end, that word or concept actually changed, and that's kind of funny. So with Telestrations, it plays just like that. But you get these little pads where you write the word and then you pass the pad around and that person takes the word, tries to draw a picture based upon the word. And because time is constantly running out, they oftentimes make, let's say, an incomplete drawing. So when it gets passed around to the next person, they try to guess a word based upon that drawing. Then the next person tries to draw something based upon that word and so on and so forth until it gets back to you. And then you kind of flip through the book and you see who scores points based upon when things match up. And if for some reason, some magical reason, it starts with the original word and it ends with the original word, then you score the most points possible. That's Telestrations. A lot of fun, very surprising, very interesting. I highly recommend that game. It's a total buy. Now, what Telestrations After Dark does that is different than Telestrations, as you can probably guess already... Is It's the same exact game as Telestration's, but the words that are on the cards are a bit more of adult fare. Now, I was really interested about how far would they go. Would they go Cards Against Humanity far? Well, I can tell you, having looked at all the cards, that they don't go that far. But there are some words that I'm sure certain audiences would not be interested in drawing or using. So on each individual card, there's actually a number of words. So some words are a little bit more rated R than other words. And some of the words are somewhat sexual activities and private parts that'll pop up in the game. So you could choose that word or you can choose one of the average everyday words. Now, what's kind of interesting about the game is the lengths they go to to put words in there that if you drew them probably looks like something else so you have anaconda you have jackhammer um, you have dogs you have human centipede you have a number of other kind of words that relate to other things but you can guess what actually comes out based upon a very quick drawing i played through this whole game it was fine but to be honest with you this reminds me of the situation between cards against humanity versus apples to apples same exact game, one's dirty, one's clean. For me personally, if I'm going to really enjoy the humor of a game, I want to be able to create the the funniest, wackiest you know, combination out of nowhere. So I enjoy apples to apples for those rare times where something does come off and just blows everybody away, whereas with Cards Against Humanity, it's a lot of like obvious, obvious, okay, uh-huh, uh-huh, I'm tired, I don't want to play anymore. I got the same feeling with Telestrations. I think that Telestrations after... I'm sorry. I got the same feeling with Telestrations after Dark. I feel like Telestrations, the basic game, is a lot more interesting and funny because when you do get a drawing in your hand that looks a little odd, that looks a little obscene, it's funny. And you could put the word down and then that gets passed around. But when after Dark, when someone's drawing something... It's kind of obvious, and it kind of takes away the shock factor because you're kind of expecting in this game. So I'm going to give Telestrations After Dark a dodge and recommend picking up Telestrations, the the larger 12-person version, because that's a great game. So that's everything for our At The Table. Now on to our feature review. And now BGA's feature review. So, for this week's feature review, we're going to be talking about Dead of Winter, a Crossroads game. Now, in this feature, if you like this, try that. We're going to take a look at the outstanding themes and features of Dead of Winter and see where those elements can be found in other games so you can expand your collection and still at the same time enjoy the greatness of Dead of Winter, but in a different format. So, to start off... Let's take Daniel. What do you got for us?
2: Well, Chris, uh, I decided to focus on the theme of Dead of Winter when I was putting together this list. So I'm, I'm looking at games that are sort of either horror-themed or post-apocalyptic-themed. Though I tried to capture a little bit of what makes Dead of Winter Dead of Winter alongside that, beyond just that. Uh, so the first game that came to mind is one that I've talked about a couple of times recently, which is Dark Gothic which has an excellent sort of old pulp hoarder theme. uh, And is really just a lot of fun. Now it's a bit more lighthearted than dead of winter is, and also a bit simpler to play, which is both a benefit and sometimes a penalty depending on who you're playing with. But it is still an exceptionally good game and worth considering if you're trying to put together something like a horror movie theme night with some board games to go aside. Right. Uh, And, I do recommend that if you decide to play Dark Gothic, you should definitely pick up the Colonial Horror expansion. It's almost an essential. Dark Gothic plays fine without it, but Colonial Horror makes it a vastly better game. Uh, so that's, that's my first sort of horror, zombie, post-apocalypse theme continuation suggestion for you. Now, my next one is much closer to Dead of Winter and the way it plays, uh, and its overall mechanics, which is Betrayal at the House on the Hill. Now, for me, Dead of Winter kind of, it shoves Betrayal at the House on the Hill, at least, maybe not entirely from its spot in my heart, but now they're sharing that spot. Betrayal used to be, and still is, one of my favorite games of all time, uh, but Dead of Winter is edging in on that territory, because they share a lot of similar mechanics. They share... They sort of semi-cooperative play with a trader, though the way they handle that is somewhat different. And, and they have the sort of move around, gather resources, but also expose yourself to risk and the meanwhile elements that we love from Dead of Winter. Now, uh, Becquia of the House on the Hill is a simpler game than Dead of Winter, I think, but it is also an immensely complex game in terms of the outcomes that are available because you have, I think, what, 52 different in-game scenarios that can occur which are really a lot of fun and it is nice for Betrayal of the House on the Hill to have this sudden change to the way the game has been playing up until this point there is a definite second phase there in a way that Dead of Winter doesn't really have Uh, so my second suggestion if you really liked the theme and in this case play style of Dead of Winter try out Betrayal on the House on the Hill and now no list for me would probably be complete if I didn't give you a role-playing game. Uh, So the one I'm going to suggest here is Apocalypse World. Apocalypse World is an incredibly flexible role-playing game system that allows you to create any kind of apocalypse you want. So it doesn't have to be a zombies, but it sure could be. Uh, Based around dynamic archetype characters, it's very rules-light, narrative-heavy, and it flows very quickly, uh, and it's just a ton of fun. Uh, The thing that makes it really stand out here is not just this post-apocalyptic theme, because that is a common element in a lot of role-playing games out there now. Uh, But really makes it stand out there is that it has the tension that Dead of Winter has regarding will you cooperate or not with fellow players. Because Apocalypse World, unlike many other role-playing games, does not assume that the players will always be friends or always be on the same team. And having that possibility for tension in a post-apocalyptic environment in a game that doesn't require much effort to learn, and produces some of, has produced some of my favorite role-playing game stories of any game I've ever played, uh, that makes Apocalypse World a highly recommended uh, game to look at if you like Dead of Winter. So those are my three suggestions. Dark Gothic with the Colonial Horror expansion, Betrayal at the House on the Hill, and Apocalypse World, an excellent role-playing game. Anthony, how about you?
1: All right. So the thing about Dead of Winter that I think is very interesting and that kind of makes every game super different and will shift the uh, the eventual outcome of the game is the hidden victory condition. So, of course, you need to, to win as a group. It's cooperative to some degree. But there's also individual victory conditions that each player will have that they need to complete so that they win, which is even more important if there's the traitor in the game and their victory conditions You know, to mess with everybody else, Um, hoard all the food or mess with the fuel or whatever it ends up being. So I like that idea of having everybody with different ways to win the game uh, that are hidden throughout the game. So this is not a hidden objective necessarily, because that's something that, you know, everybody, you know how you're going to win the game. And there's this one extra thing that you can score points from. So like the cards from Ticket to Ride or the tiles from Suburbia, that's a hidden objective that's going to get you bonus points. This is actually a hidden victory condition. You cannot win if you do not complete this, and nobody knows what it is except for you. So one game that I really like that does this very well is Shadow Hunters. This is a game that came out for us a lot at the game store. In the game, there are shadow characters, there are hunter characters, and there are neutral characters. Everybody's dealt that card face down. Nobody knows what anybody else is. Now, that's right there. That's a typical hidden role game. The thing that makes this game unique is that each of those cards has uh, a specific amount of hit points on it that nobody else knows. So you're going to be going up this hit point tracker, and you could die at any point along the way based on who your character is, but people don't know who you are until they start deducing different things and drawing certain cards. And then the neutral characters actually have separate victory conditions on their cards. They might be things like be the first one to die or survive everything or die at this particular point or survive this particular situation. And nobody will know what those are unless you actually do it and flip your card and show that to them. The shadow players, of course, want to get rid of all the hunters. The hunters want to get rid of all the shadows. And during all that, you have to figure out who everybody is. So the the presence of a hidden victory condition can really mess with people because while the majority of people are either shadows or hunters and are trying to figure out who the other shadows or hunters are, the neutral characters are just doing their thing, whatever it might be, And it can really mess with people's understanding of the game and what they think is happening. This is a fun one. The newer version of the game, which is, I'm not sure if this is in print right now. It goes in and out occasionally from Z-Man. But the newer version of the game comes with the expansion, uh, which has 10 new characters that are mixed in there too. So that's a great one. Another one that I really liked that we actually just talked about not too long ago is On Her Majesty's Service from Cool Mini or Not. I believe that's the world of smog on Her Majesty's service. I always forget the first part. This is a game that has a lot of things going on as well, but there's a lot of information that the other players will not have that's very important to the end of the game. Now, while every, everybody can see what you're doing throughout the game, they can see where you're moving, they can see what you're doing, what you're buying, what you're getting rid of. What they cannot see is the gate that you need to get out. So, the location on the board you need to be at to complete, to finish the game once you have all the artifacts and they can't see which ethers you need to have to get there. So there's a general assumption that at a certain point in the game and based on what their board looks like, that they might be close. But for example, in the game that we played, I knew Chris had everything he needed. He had all four artifacts and I knew that he could finish the game and win in the next round if he got to the place he needed to be, but I didn't know where that was. So I couldn't actually stop him from getting there. I could only guess and hope that I guessed right. Um, and that was very interesting because that's, it was super hidden. I had no idea where it was going. And in the end, I guessed wrong, and that was part of the game. I think it's a fun part of the game. I think it adds a lot of depth to the end game. It kind of makes it a race, and it really adds a lot of tension to it. So you don't quite know what somebody's doing there. Uh, the third game has kind of a different take on the hidden victory condition, and that's nuns on the run, where the victory condition itself, everybody knows what it is. Each of the nuns is trying to get their special secret treasure that they're looking for, but nobody knows where those are located, and you can kind of move all throughout the board and try to, um find that secret wish without being detected while the abbess or prioress, which is controlled by one player, kind of patrol the board and try to find where you are. And the fun part is you could be right in front of them or right near them and they won't see you because of how you're moving across the board. Having that much hidden information, that much secret information out on the board at any given time makes for, it's actually a relatively tense game. And the way that it ends up working out is If the abbess and the Prioress are able to capture or find all of the nuns, they win. If they're not, the player who gets their secret wish and returns to their room first wins. So it's kind of a reverse deduction game in the one versus many uh, category. And the fact that nobody knows what anybody's going for or where they're trying to get adds a really fun and kind of a deep level of strategy to the game. Because you can kind of run all over the board and mess with somebody or you can go straight for your uh, secret wish and head back to the room. It really depends on, you know, what the, that one player playing the Abyss is trying to do. So those are three games that have fun, um, kind of unique hidden victory conditions uh, that I think add a lot to the, to the game. Very much like Dead of Winter, which is a game that every game is like that. You never know what anybody's trying to do. Uh, and that's, to me, that's a lot of fun. And it really kind of extends the game, but it also adds a second element to it where you're playing your own internal, almost metagame throughout it. Chris, what about you? For me, the
0: crossroad mechanic in this game is really my favorite part. Now, it's so unusual and so unique that I had a really hard time actually finding some sort of mechanic or some set of cards that did something identical, because I think that, at least to my knowledge, that this really is a unique mechanic. But, that being said, there's a lot of games that use global effect cards, in particular, in expansions so usually when you play a game and it has the general rules and you're kind of going through it after a while there's not too much to expect there's nothing to really to shake the game up and then oftentimes designers will come out with a global effect deck now no matter what the game is they're basically the same type of idea that at some point during the game you'll flip over a card as part of this deck and then this effect affects everyone in the game. So very similar to the crossword mechanic where you read the card and if a certain condition is met, then that card comes into play. So I want to talk about three games that effectively use this global effect mechanic. First up, Defenders of the Realm global effect cards, obviously. Now we're all big fans of Defenders of the Realm and there is so much to enjoy in this game, especially as you're an adventurer Crossing the lands, trying to defend your kingdom versus the spread of darkness. Now, as the game goes on, it's got that traditional pandemic mechanic where the darkness spreads. And based upon where those areas kind of overgrow, they'll kind of expand out even more. But on a certain level, you can pretty much strategize what's going to happen next and how to affect it. With this global effect deck, which you can pick up as... A promo deck or with an expansion it adds something really different to the game and by that I mean random effects that's going to happen to the board so you might get the fact that the ends are closed and the ends are usually where you get those quests done or maybe the gates are down so now you really can't travel and that's going to affect the game for a round or two or maybe there's a mana drain and no magic can be used while the mana drain is in effect or this political bickering, or this heavy rain, or a harsh winter, or corruption spreads, or maybe it's the troll guards. Now you need an ex- you need to roll extra dice. So there is a lot of different effects in this game, and it really adds to the unknown element to the game. And that's really what I liked about Dead of Winter. That not only was it a game that you had to guess about the characters, but you weren't sure what was going to turn up next. And this global effect deck really does a good job of that too. But that's only the start. Now, another game, and at least a game that's a little bit on the lighter side, would be Garden Dice, the card expansion. So, with this expansion, what you're going to get is global effects that's going to affect your growing of vegetables in your garden. Now, if you have not played this game yet, basically it's rolling dice to place seeds to water seeds to grow vegetables and harvest them. It's a beautiful, fun game, very colorful, somewhat gateway game, but... Really a, a kind of fun fun game. Now, as I said, there is a you know a basic progression from you know planting something to harvesting something. but these global effect cards really change the game up. Now sometimes it's situation with a weather condition, so maybe a gentle rain will give you a bonus, but maybe sometimes a drought will actually stop your plants from growing. And there might be times where you can't water your plants at all or maybe you have an empty basket and if you don't have the fewest vegetables of a certain kind, you get penalized or there's a late harvest or maybe there's a positive, there's a miracle plant. So when you play a water and seed action, you immediately harvest the vegetable. This is really fun because it adds something different to the game and in some ways speeds it up and slows it down. It changes the tempo of the game. So each and every game is different, and that's really what you want out of this. Now for me, the ultimate global effect deck, as far as anything you could possibly want to kind of change up a game, would have to be Small Worlds, Tales, and Legends. Now, i got to say, I like this deck so much that I actually picked up a second one. First off, you're going to get outstanding artwork, and I really love the artwork here because basically when you're playing Small World, you get the artwork for the characters and you get the artwork for the power, but you don't see the characters in action. Well, this deck actually shows you the characters in the action, which is great, but also it affects the game by having a hidden card and then a, an opened played cards so you know what's going to come next and you know how to kind of counter those things now with these cards some of them will actually affect gameplay in a big way so for example if golden age comes into play then no players can go into decline this turn now that you know playing small world that that's a big difference now there's also oldies but goodies so in decline races and their special powers if any score double this turn so if you lucked out and had one of those spots to give you bonus coins, now you're really kind of smoking the competition. Or you could have Cobalt God. Active races scored no points this turn, so there you go. You really wanted to have a decline race at that point. What's great about this deck is because since one of the cards is available for view, you know what's coming next. Now, I played with this deck both ways, both with information available to you of what's coming next and then information hidden my family and i we really enjoyed the hidden information aspect of this because it really added to to a surprise element because basically beyond picking the races and special powers there really isn't nothing very there really isn't anything different to the gameplay so this global effect deck really does add so much to the game So I'm going to say Global Effect Deck for Defenders of the Realm, for Small Worlds, Tales, and Legends, and Garden Dice, the card expansion, does its best to come close to the crossword mechanic in Dead of Winter, and you should check those games out. So that's everything for this week. Please keep in contact with us on Facebook, Twitter, BoardGamersAnonymous.com, our guild on Board Game Geek. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes and Stitcher. And if you get a chance, please check out our Patreon account. The more you can do for us, the more we can do for the board gaming hobby and add new players to your table. Till then, this is Chris. This is Anthony.
1: And this is Daniel.
0: And we'll save you a seat at our spawn point so you can help us achieve the objective. And keep Anthony leveled up. (laughs) Anthony needs your help, man. Help the team.